Sonic State Welcome everybody, um, Sonic Talk number 39, gosh we're fast approaching 40, doesn't it kind of catch up on you like that? Um, and uh, we're recording today on Wednesday the 28th of March, going to go live on Thursday the 29th of March, right in the middle of the Frankfurt Music Massa. Um, despite that, we've managed to uh, tear Dave away from his universal binary releases and manual rewrites. Hi, Dave Spears from GeForce Software. How are you doing? Uh, I'm okay, actually. Thank you. Good. Glad to hear it. And uh, we've also got Mark Tinley. Hi, Mark. How are you? Hi. Not too bad. Are you still on the, um, the Zoom H4? I'm on a Zoom H4 with an external microphone. It's all, it's all good fun. Changed your configuration ever so slightly. And uh, we've also got John Musgrave. Afternoon. I'm still on the USB phone. You can oh, tell, yeah, and you? you sound the best. You've got the most. You've got the presence. You're going to cut through like a knife. Yeah, You're, that's what I like it. Yeah, and uh, we've got PJ Pre- uh, Tracy, but in the UK, uh, let me just tell you, he's not quite with us because in the UK we've moved to British summertime, which means our time has actually moved back an hour. And uh, PJ was working late in the studio last night. Uh, we'll have to quiz him about that later. And um, when I rang him, he was kind of not really ready because he was expecting me to be there an hour later so he's going to hop in late he's just making himself a cup of coffee and uh, hopefully he'll join us in 10 minutes or so so uh, dave you must have had a busy week because you're you're releasing frenzy aren't you uh yeah just chaos really just chaos. Get everything. well we thrive on chaos here yeah i know what you're saying not so good with the hair loss and the uh, the alcohol consumption though the uh, what did i see was it the imposca that's just gone universal binary yeah, we got that out yesterday. And that was great, actually, because we've staggered the releases. So the Mtron was a reasonably problematical release. There was all sorts of web issues and various other bits and pieces that we had to deal with. Um, and thankfully, yesterday went a lot smoother. I would be absolutely bricking myself if we'd have released them all at once. Could you imagine? I think that would have been a bit harsh, wouldn't it? Because you'd have had so many things to look after. Yeah, and, um, no. OK, well, uh, uh, Mark Tinley, how have, how have your week been? Any events? I went uh, last Friday. I went to visit Carl from Fields of the Nephilim, and I went on my little moped. Um, so, but it doesn't go very fast. So I rode to the train station, and it folds up, folded it all up, put it in a bag, and unfolded it all, and rode it to his house. Except something went a bit wrong with the petrol tank. Uh, ended up covered in petrol. <laughs> and then on the way back, I did the same thing, except I got on the wrong train, so I ended up going to Cambridge, which wasn't, uh, no, to Cambridge, yeah, which wasn't too clever, so that was quite an event. Well, um, I can't think if anything exciting happened to me, really, apart from just a, a bit of, uh, well, obviously, mess of preparation, and uh, I've finished my um, M-Audio NRV10 review, which I put up uh, the other night, and you know, the, MR, mm. the NRV10 Firewire uh, analog yeah. desk combination? <clears throat> Mm. Is that how big is that? Like a ten fader one, or a... yeah, it's basically well, it's not ten faders. It's one, two, three. I'm just looking at two, four, six, eight, nine. Um, so you've got um, six input channels, four four mono and two stereo, and then two faders for monitoring levels and a master output. Hmm. But it's quite nifty because it runs this thing called Intereffect, which is like a uh, a kind of piece of software that communicates with the desk via Firewire, and you can run plugins on it and have kind of compress. It's got a compressor and a gate built in as on the channel strip, and then you've got mm. two slots for VST plugins that you can run in real time. And the latency is actually pretty good. It's much better than the round trip from any sort of sequencer or door that I've come across. Mm. Um, so yeah, you know, kind of, kind of, I liked it a lot actually, and I used it um, in in anger even. Hey PJ, how you doing? How's the coffee working this morning? 
Oh, it's fantastic. Great. So you've been, you, you've had, a, you had a, a, an all-night session then. Did you a late session? Yeah, well, I'm attempting to get my website up and running um, for a couple of different projects that I'm working on. And uh, it's been a crazy couple of weeks. So just putting an all-nighter. PJ's been busy. Mark's been, been, uh, been getting lost on trains. John, what have you been doing? I'm in a sea of remixes at the moment. So every time I get one finished, there's another couple left to carry on doing. So it's uh, wow. Do you busy. feel do you, do you feel like a bit of a conveyor belt? More than when, when you say remix, are you uh, is it more like a kind of rebalance, or are you actually it's like no, a kind no of, club mix. Do, do you do you work in a sort of right? You've got a sort of slight template, so you don't have to reinvent the wheel every time. I'm I'm trying to um, skirt, more than I'm trying to skirt <laughs> around the fact that all you do is kind of load a load of the drums that are the same and change the tempo, but obviously you don't do that. But <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> Oh, of course. I mean, the stuff that, I mean, mostly the stuff I'm doing at the moment is one of two main styles, either kind of um, big sort of main main room house territory, kind of Seamus Haji territory, mm-hmm. um, or more sort of up-tempo, high-energy stuff. So there's oh. a couple of templates there. All oh, right. So <laughs> do you wear a, a string vest when you're doing the high-energy uh, remix? Or? Oh, and to start with, yeah. Get you going. Yeah, yeah. And then you take it off and wave it around yeah. over your head when it really gets going. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> Excellent. You should get a uh, maybe a kind of um, a stick on moustache as well for the final fade. You're assuming I don't own one already. Actually, that's true. <laughs> but well, I, I'm pretty sure you haven't got a moustache. Not a very fulsome one, unless no, you're particularly, uh, a, you know, you're full of hormones and you grow them very fast. Because I only saw you a few weeks ago, and you, that's true. There wasn't a trace of hair on your upper uh, lip at that point. That's true, and there, there, there won't be. If anyone dabbled with moustaches, just just quite, why not? Try try the beard. That looks utterly ridiculous on me. My brother Adam's got a moustache. That looks quite cool, actually. Kind of wide, sort of thick moustache with a gold tooth and then tattoos all over his head and stuff. And wow. It does look quite cool. I bet he does. PJ. When I was in college, I tried I tried a goatee. That didn't work very well. It was <laughs> uh, spotty, red, blonde. <laughs> I usually save the goatee for fancy dress parties. Because I'm one of these people that don't shave every day and I kind of let it, and then I just say, all I do is kind of leave a bit and then I've got a goatee. Dave, I can't imagine you've been through life without the hint of a moustache at any point. I'm only 14, so I can't grow anything yet. (laughs) (laughs) No, I am a lazy git. I I don't shave every day. Mrs. hates it. But I wouldn't do the goatee. No, I was living in the States when... uh, when the whole goatee thing was happening and it was like it was a statement of my individuality that i didn't go there oh cool <laughs> you, have to, you have to have those horrible sandals as well if you're gonna have a goatee is that right i thought you just had oh, to I be in a jazz funk oh yeah probably. and perhaps a polo neck well, well, perhaps we're getting a little bit too um and, uh, too derogatory in generalization <laughs> maybe facial hair is something that we could um we could revisit at another point when perhaps they become a bit more fashionable <laughs> Um, we did talk about this um, this thing from Audio E Soundabout. Um, I think it was it was briefly on their website round about uh, Nam time, and everybody was going, "Wow, have you seen that?" And uh, they've just I think they've sort of relaunched it for Mesa, but they've renamed it and called it Snapper. And the video, uh, I don't know what it is. There's something very hypnotic about uh, Arjun van der Schoot, who's the <laughs> one of the kind of proprietors of Audio E's and is responsible for many of the uh, impulse recordings for for their. Uh, their reverb um, system. And he, go, he sort of gallivants around with um, battery packs and records these beautiful buildings and you know all over the Europe and what have you. He's recorded, re-recorded the Snapper video, and it's it's just as hypnotic as last time. But let me explain what it is. It's it's kind of a 
a, a utility that sits in the Finder, and it enables you to search and preview and check the waveforms of any audio files. But not only that, it lets you to select and sort of drag and clip them into various folders so you can manipulate the audio in kind of very cool and obvious ways. Also, drop them onto the cursor point at the on the Pro Tools timeline, etc., etc. Is that something that anybody will be uh, rushing out to buy? Yeah, Immediately. Yeah. Yes. Brilliant. <laughs> Utterly brilliant. <laughs> I mean, I just love that you can instantly see what a sound file's got in it. Uh, without having to load it into some program, you can see it straight away. Go to the part that you think is, you know, what you want, and listen to it. If it is, you drag that highlighted highlighted chunk somewhere else and use it for what what you're doing. It's yeah, really, really, really useful, I think. And also, you can export to MP3 and email them to people, and it it, it also integrates with iTunes as well. So you can take a track in iTunes and kind of just look at the waveform and go, oh, I just want the intro, because, you know, I'm not sure how much it's going to be. It just says soon at the end of the demo. It doesn't actually say how much. audio stuff, uh, from what I remember, it's not it's not uh, the lowest price, because I used to use uh, a utility called Barber Batch, which was the, one of the first ever batch audio processors. Yeah, I had that. That was really good. Uh, and, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't low cost by any stretch, um, but incredibly powerful, and I presume they might use some of their batch processing mouse in uh, in this as well so it could be just something that every person who works in audio on a mac needs to have they um they made a really good tone sweep generator as well didn't they but i u- i made some sweeps and used them in remixes because you can tell it how long you want it to be so if you work out the tempo of your thing you can have a huge great big sweep going from like 20 hertz to 20000 hertz you know, sort of so that's the kind of thing they use for getting the Impulse responses in the first place, isn't it? A sweep and yeah. spot sounds and stuff. Yeah, I think so. It's Altiverb, isn't it? PJ, have you come across Altiverb? I use Altiverb daily. As a matter of fact, I um, emailed Arjun to ask him whether or not Snapper would be available for window, Windows, and he sent me this cryptic email that said, uh, we are announcing the Mac version at this time. We'll see where we go from here. We are not prepared to release any information on whether or not we will release a Windows version. And uh, I I love the idea of Snapper. I mean, I think it's great. I think what they did was they took the best ideas that Steinberg had from Media Bay for version 4 of Cubase, improved on them, and then made it uh, available to everybody on the Mac. And I'd love to see that happen. I want to see exactly the same, but with video. The ability to audition any part of my video clips, drag and drop. Uh, Yeah, that would be cool. I mean, if you use something like... uh Sony Vegas, which is something that we use, you've got this trimmer, which is a similar thing. You just you you can explore clips in in any file structure. It doesn't have to be in a media bin, and then you just open it in the trimmer, and you just view, and you can grab bits, and then just go right that bit, stick it on the timeline where the cursor is. It's very. very Does it sort of... throw a big film strip overview up of the whole thing, or not? Yeah, yeah. Oh right. Mm. Yeah, I mean it's very cool. It's almost worth getting if you're a Mac person. I'd say Sony Vegas is worth getting XP for. Wow. And I don't say that lightly. I know I'm always going on about it, but I mean, I as I've said, I edit the podcast in it, and I wouldn't do it in anything else. Mm. Well, wow. I still prefer their CD Architect program for for doing album mastering. Well, they get something right. Yes. Glad to hear it. PJ, you sent me a video of this guy Jeffrey Abbott. Um, yeah. Using the Real Guitar Toolbox. On, yeah. And he's. I mean, I, I watched some of those videos on YouTube, and his playing is amazing. I mean, his playing of, is fantastic. He's really kind of quite remarkable. And uh, and what do you know much about the real the real guitar toolbox? Because I'm not very aware of what it does and what it is. 
Well, apparently, and I was in the Northern Sounds uh, forum talking to some people who were looking for guitar sample libraries, acoustic guitar specifically, and uh, everybody there seems to extol the virtues of, uh, virtues of real guitar too. And uh, their new utility is called Toolbox, and apparently it's for performing live specifically. Right. So it allows you to take different articulations. I, I believe there's some real-time key switching going on. Guitar uh, your way across the stage at the Ramada Inn. Hey, well, I mean, and, ladies and gentlemen. And while I was on the subject of keto, it suddenly sort of struck me as to why, why perhaps one would feel drawn to um, to that kind of behaviour, um, because it seems to me that all the keto videos are kind of like people who are essentially they want to get their foot on the monitor and have a really loud amp and sort of wig out. And he just sort of think, well, perhaps. You know, you might be better off learning the guitar a little bit. I don't know. Maybe I'm being a little bit sort of uh, cynical there, but I mean, there are some remarkable videos of people doing guitar stuff. There's, um, did you see that first one, which was a kind of, I'm not, she looked like maybe a Turkish lady, who yes. was who was quite suggestive in a sort of very pedestrian kind of way, playing. Uh, what was it? It looked like a kind of um, Yamaha. What was it? A CX5 or I'm not sure uh, what the keyboard KX55 was. KX55 or something. KX55 playing yeah. this ridiculously trilly and over the top. Um, just very, very fast keyboard lines, but she was sort of very flamboyant. It was very amusing, but well, it just... I was expecting Borat to appear, to be honest. <laughs> there was a Borat, uh, there was quite a lot of Borat element to it, wasn't it? And uh, she had it on some kind of stand, so she could, um, well, prance suggestively at key moments, I think. That's uh, the only way I could put it. She, she needs to get someone to do her drum programming for her. Yes, yeah. the backing track did leave yeah. a little bit to be desired, I, w I will say, but... Um, it looked like a bad outtake from a Stanley Kubrick film. I mean, I felt like I was be being drawn into David the screen. David Lynch, maybe. <laughs> yes, definitely <laughs> Lynch. <yeah. laughs> so that was the first one I came across after I'd looked at the Jeffrey Abbott one. And then I looked at this other one, which is Dr. Ryman, which is the guy who uses the full-size Novation remote and a MacBook Pro. And I don't think he uses real guitar, too. I can't remember what he uses, but we shot him. He was on the Novation stand at, uh, at NAMM, and I think we've got a video of him and it was amazing, you know, and he was really, really accomplished. And there's various videos of him playing guitar solos in different styles. But it just struck me as kind of, you know, because he was giving it all the Guitar Hero stuff, but he had this enormous keyboard sort of stuck <laughs> round his, his, his neck. What's interesting about this is that there seems to be a subculture of people out there that really want to play guitar from the keyboard. There, there yeah. are two products out there, and I think one of them is... is um, I, I'm not sure which one he's using. The last guy that you mentioned, Doctor Ryman. Yeah, Doctor Ryman. He. Uh, it sounds like he's using either Bellady Media's Lyrical Distortion or the Promini LPC library, right. which are both fantastic. If you listen to the demos on their pages, it's amazing what you're able to accomplish from the keyboard. I mean, you can fool the best guitar hero into thinking that they're listening to a guitar player, but it seems to me that you have to invest a lot of time awful lot of sample space on your hard drive to uh, to accomplish this yeah i, I want to know exactly what makes people want to stand up and strap on a keyboard with a uh, handle extension on it well yeah but the thing is i can understand i can understand the you know getting guitar sound on a keyboard fine but that kind of next leap of faith from that to standing up on stage doing well, that means is coming out from behind the keyboard i used to do this i used to do this oh, when do i was in disc discord that chord with Adam, I didn't do rock solos. I used to trigger samples from it. Actually, I used to trigger samples of rock solos from it, which was even weirder. <laughs> but there was, a, but you, you can, I don't know. There's something really cool about keyboards. I think hanging them round your neck. It's, uh, mine was a, a much smaller one, a toy one, 
a little Yamaha thing. I, I, I don't know. I like stealing it. <laughs> I know what you mean. I, th- I, I think where I'm getting at is, I mean, because um, um, the band that I do the, uh, the sort of live set for, Goldfrapp, they use a, 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 an AX1, and they've got a very flamboyant um, key, sort of guitar player. But he's not kind of guitaring, but he's an a- he enables him to kind of come out, because there's a bass player on one side of the stage, and he's kind of giving it some... And it just means that it balances it up, but it's not actually trying to play the guitar on it. It's actually just right. being able to to occupy mm. part of the stage and have some showmanship. I mean, the thing that I find curious is, you know, what's wrong with just playing a synth solo and rocking out? You know, why do you have yeah. to play a guitar solo? If you um, that's, that's what I mean, though. You kind of tra- it ends up becoming a bit 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 cabaret, isn't it? If someone is yeah. kind of pretending to play a guitar and standing up pretending to look like they're playing a guitar on a keyboard. I think that's exactly what Real Guitar is, is aiming at. I mean, obviously, from their Jeffrey Abbott video, they're aiming at the sort of hotel cabaret set where a guy might want to stand in the corner, um, hopefully not with a guitar, and play uh, Yesterday on a nylon string guitar, okay, yeah. forget all of the lyrics to the song, and uh, make up some of his own, and uh, sit down and do his thing. <laughs> People drink margaritas with umbrellas in them. Yeah, I'm all for margaritas with umbrellas in them, but I'm not sure I want to. I mean, I, I'm, I, I hope we're not alienating any of our audience, but I mean, it just I, I can't not. understand the kind of the why it has to be a guitar. Why can't it be you know piano or you know just something that you can express the sound you're making and get yourself at the front of the stage without having to pretend you're playing a guitar. That's a very good point. A very good point. Oh, thank you very much, Mark. Shall I? <laughs> I think it, on that high <laughs> note, do you think I should end? <laughs> yeah. I'm now, now I've kind of um, got that off my chest. I'm going to expose myself to uh, to all sorts of uh, ridicule now by um, by saying, by confessing to finding that weather report. Uh, Nick, you can confess to weather report. I love weather report too. Well, there was a certain phase with weather report, wasn't it? It was around the black market was probably the first yeah. one, and then heavy weather and um, I can't a swamp. Was it Swamp Thing or I can't remember what the last one was? Domino Theory. There were three Domino albums. Theory, yeah. There were three albums when it was okay to that when they they kind of made jazz into kind of quite melodic and catchy tunes, as well as being virtuoso, virtuoso like. Or maybe I'm just trying to justify it to myself. But anyway, I found this video on YouTube, but it's actually them playing. Uh, what's it called? Is it Birdland? No, it was Teen Town. It's Teen Town, isn't it? It's yeah, Jacko Pastor. It's the, it's the classic band. So it's uh, it's Teen Town, uh, and it's it, it. I don't know who's playing percussion, but it, it's basically Joe Zawinul, Wayne Shorter, and Jacko Pastorius, and the other guys in the band who I can't remember who they are, but I'm sure they're equally as important. Jacko Pastorius, you know, I started to sort of look at what he what he how he was heralded, and he was kind of regarded as the best bass player in the world ever on the planet at any time you know every bass player i've ever worked with who's worked with duran duran has cited him as their hero and um he worked with he worked with duran duran on a track when i was engineering with them and um the guy's utterly amazing utterly amazing i mean he he is somebody who i'd probably say you know i'm kind of uh, in awe of and and I'm, I usually don't notice these things, if you know what I mean. Warren wanted him to. Warren, the, the guitarist that was with Duran Duran at that point, wanted him to play something which was in 25/7 time signature. <laughs> and he sat down and he explained where all the time signature changes were. Yeah. Forty minutes later, he'd finished and he left. <laughs> and this wow. was like a four-five-minute track with loads of weird time signature changes, and he just got it and just 
played played what he was asked to play, and then that was it. He was done. But it sort of made me want to, because after looking at this weather report um, clip, it made me kind of want to go and find, because I'm not really very familiar with... He did his first solo album in the mid-70s. Yeah, maybe I should go and get that, because that's supposed to be one of the, the bass it's player's good. bass album. I think he did three solo albums in pretty quick succession between about 76 when that one came out and about 1981. PJ, does uh, Jacob Pastorius mean much to you? You know, I've, I've come across uh, things here and there. I, I was more of a fan of, um, of Chick Corea's Return to Forever uh, rather than Weather Report. But uh, one thing that I have noticed over the years is the many tributes and synth patches to Jaco Pistorius. Uh, yes. Most notably, maybe, is on uh, Spectrosonics Trilogy. There's, mm. a, there's a fretless bass that is uh, called Jaco. Yeah. And it sounds fantastic. When you play. Does anyone know what his setup was? Because I don't, I mean... I do, I, he must have had, you know, it was a, he had a, a Fender jazz bass, presumably. Was that right? He, just, he had he very had loud amp. He had bass. very loud amps, I think. From what I remember reading about him, his setup was designed to produce a lot of volume. Well, I guess, I mean, you're looking at that clip, the weather report thing. I mean, that is a live show, and it is... Did you notice that... The, 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 I'll, I'll just um, play a little bit of it now, so you can just hear the, the bass line. And what it is, is he's playing it, but oh, if you look, so's Zawinul. I mean, that's Pastorius, and that's super fast. I don't know how fast that tempo is. But that's him playing it and Zawinul playing exactly the same time, as well as Zawinul playing, you know, the chords on the piano. And that is just tight, wouldn't you say? Brilliant. Sorry, I, I'm, I'm sort of waxing lyrical, and it is a bit obscure. But uh, I just remember when I was a kid, I was so into Black Market, um, which is probably their, their most accessible, would it be fair to say, but one of their most accessible mm. albums? Because it's quite poppy, and I, I don't know, it might even charted. They, I don't know if they released any singles from it, but it was... Uh, yeah. Birdland was received, uh, released over here, I think. Yeah. That, that was their only hit, according to uh, their Wikipedia article. I don't know if that's actually, you know, that's actually the case, but mm. it says that Birdland charted... Um, they won a Grammy for that album. Right, okay. Yeah. And Jocko was nominated for a Grammy that year, but didn't win it. I, I don't know if anyone ever saw... There was, a, there was actually a... Uh, I think it was um, a British... Um, documentary about Joe Zawinul and he's kind of one of these guys he's a bit like Dick Tracy you know he's like 70 and he can do one-handed press-ups <laughs> you know but his his ability to play I mean he's incredibly technically uh, proficient there was that stuff that he was doing where because his setup was so complicated he had so many keyboards he actually programmed one of the keys keyboards to work backwards so you played down the keyboard and the, and the pitch got higher so that he could he could move around his rig easier so he's playing these really complicated riffs <laughs> but he had, he had sort of inverted the pitch on this keyboard and it's That's a just, good idea but i mean it seems like that whole weather report band all of them were prodigies pretty much you know they're just all yeah. incredibly <clears throat> gifted and talented musicians i remember reading it reading an article in keyboard magazine not too long ago with joe zawinul and he was he's an he's an amazing uh i mean absolutely amazing technical player uh, he also seems to have an amazing ego, and it's probably true, but he said that uh, his favorite times in the studio are when he's doing every track out from the keyboard, the drums, the bass, the guitars, the keyboards. And he says, but uh, this isn't very politically correct in this day and age to do this type of thing, so I need to bring others in. <laughs> and we, when he's talking about others, he's talking about what? Anybody that he wants to bring in. So yeah, he, like people who are so, quite good. Yeah, very good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, good for him. Just riffing on Weather Report for a while there, because um, 
I felt like it today. The new MM6 music production synthesizer from Yamaha. Codename Mimo. The 61 note portable synthesizer with incredible sonic power based on motive tone generation, real time audio control, USB connectivity, and computer integration. Bundled with Cubase LE audio and MIDI sequencing software. Create, produce, perform with the affordable and versatile MM6 music production synthesizer from Yamaha www.mm6music.co.uk That was an ad from Yamaha UK there who've uh, been forward thinking enough to sponsor the podcast so if you want to make us look good uh, click on the URLs mentioned in the ad or in the show notes and uh, everybody will be happy. We periodically cover um, the fact that the RIAA um, kind of are suing and, and taking people to task like kind of grandmas and small children and stuff for downloading whether inadvertently or, or, or on purpose to make examples of them. And the, the, in a recent statement, they actually said the reason why they did this was um, was to to teach the new generation to respect copyrighted material in this digital age, which I thought was very noble of them. Nothing to do with the fact that they've got a monopoly on collecting rights uh, uh, music in America and uh, they don't want to give that monopoly up. Um, Nick, I don't know if you're going to have to edit this out, but these are people that have their heads so far up their eyes that they're looking out their mouths. It's, we have a similar problem in the UK with the MCPS. A, a, a friend of mine who is a magazine publisher, <laughs> they put a cover mount disc on, on a magazine, and they regularly do features with artists who are signed, and I've got MCPS deals. MCPS is like the mechanical distribution. I think it's similar to the RIA. It's the mechanicals um, of disc production. You know, there's a percentage that goes to this organization. They collect it and redistribute it to the artists. And say, for instance, they did a feature on a, on a, on a guy who was, a, you know, a dance musician, and they took a vocal and they said, oh, make us a track, for instance, uh, and he might use a very small part of his sample, completely change it, and turn it into a new track. They still have to pay, according to the rules, the full MCPS uh, rights for that track, as if they just put the, the track in its entirety, rather than just used a little bit of a sample... You know, oh, wow. messed it around and turned it into something completely different by the artist oh. who originally came up with the, you know, the idea. So, you know, the whole thing is, is up for review. And RIAA, are, are, I think, are kind of losing um, the respect oh. of the younger generation by doing well, this there's rather a than whole, anything else. There's a whole lawsuit with these guys that just uh, a judgment came out on the 2nd of March, and I don't know if any of you have read this, but where they are, um, they've appealed to this new copyright board that was set up in 1994, or rather 2004, uh, by the Library of Congress here in the United States to collect back royalties for anybody streaming audio over Internet. Uh, so inter independent Internet radio stations yeah, that are that using license. Yeah, they're screwed, aren't they? Yeah. Oh. And they, they're, they're absolutely going to shut down Internet radio with this unless it's fought. And uh, apparently NPR, which is on uh, national public radio here in the States is going to fight them, which I'm, I'm glad to see, because the royalty rate is so exorbitant. Uh, I, I, I don't know the math, but it's it's something like somebody on This Week in Media was saying that if you are an independent internet radio station that has a thousand listeners and you're playing one licensed track to them once a month, you're going to end up paying the RIAA something like $100,000 a year. I mean, I think well, the problem is, is where the definitions of, of where that stuff, because it's stored, isn't it? So it's like owning, so you, you know, the storage aspect of it is the one that kind of make, falls through the cracks of the, uh, the license, I think. And so they, they have to prosecute the full license of something that, that is stored 
rather than just something that is kind of transitory, which is kind of what most of these recordings are. The internet radio stuff is, you know. Yeah, but I think that this is a this is a study of people who don't understand their own business model. I mean, internet radio is the is sort of the last hope, I think, especially for for people who are really into music and want to hear new music. Where else can you find it? And if you go out onto the internet, you can find all kinds of artists that you you've never heard before you can rediscover things you haven't heard in years and the RIAA doesn't seem to be uh, clued into this yeah. that this is actually helping their iTunes sales their- you know we were talking about David Byrne last week a friend of mine sent me this thing which is bush-of-ghosts.com and uh, David Byrne and uh, Brian Eno made an album called My Life in a Bush of Ghosts a or classic Bush of Ghosts what they've done is they've put two of their multi-tracks on the internet so that you can download them in their entirety and make new songs out of them or remix them or whatever. And I think that's highly innovative. Mm. But my question is, if those tracks have been mixed and released and they're on physical media out there in the world that somebody owns the mechanical copyright to, if people remix these things, then aren't they all falling foul of this thing as well i think to i think the thing is is with this is it's it's a project that is they're hoping that is going to result in an album of remixes so you resubmit the stuff that you've done to them and that there's a board of people who are kind of checking them out and sort of narrow whittling it down and uh it's because uh, i was looking at this the, today and it's moderated by emi and warners and david uh, burns and brian eno's offices so that they're, they're it's an inclusive process they've instigated it and experience is already there, I, I, is what you're saying. I, I realised they'd instigated it, but I, I wasn't. I didn't actually know why. So now, I think it's kind of a, a an endorsed sense. product. And I was uh, looking at some of it. There's actually. I'll play you one of these things because I've got it online. And I'm... so someone sort of housed up, helped me, and kind of taking all the samples. But yeah. Just to uh, just to um, outline that, it's a really nifty flash interface. And what you can do is you go to uh, bush-of-ghost.com and uh, you could, you've got this sort of flash-based interface where you can essentially see a map of the world and there are all these sort of little dots as to where these remixes have been uploaded from. And you can click on them and add them to a player and then sort of just listen to all the different versions. It's, it's, a, it's a very sort of inclusive process. And I think, because um, I've got uh, a friend who works for EMI, and what they're actually beginning to do is release all sorts of back catalogue properties and what have you to kind of bring in new talent, you know, particularly for mm. designing videos, um, album artwork, all sorts of things. They give them all these things and then say, submit us some stuff. And if, if it's any good, we'll use it. So they're kind of A&Ring all of, they're beginning to A&R lots more aspects, not just the music, but they're A&Ring kind of for design or A&Ring for, for marketing ideas, <laughs> for, you know, all these kind of things. So it's, I think it's, that's where, a lot of the record companies are going to be going to. They're going to try and set themselves up as magnets for people to come into so they can identify the good ones and then exploit them um, remorselessly, you know. Um, but, yeah, I'm not sure that the RIAA are going to have um, have a, a great part to play in that, not if they keep keep up this. I mean, they seem to be no. much more down to the, you know, what they're doing to end users who are kind of allegedly um, stealing their stuff. So I, I think it's a, it's, it's a, it's another sad RIAA story, but I thought we hadn't talked about it for a little while and, uh, combined with this Bush of Ghosts thing, it looks quite interesting. Dave, did you see the Bush of Ghosts thing? Did you get a chance? I downloaded it immediately. Oh, did you? <laughs> and have yeah. you finished your remix yet? 
no, no, I haven't started, but I had to listen to some of it. I mean, I thought it was, it was an amazing album. I bought it on spec, actually, on cassette when it came out. Somebody told me how good it was, and uh, it's one of those albums that just kind of sticks around forever. The first ever cut-up album, really, or mainstream one. Yeah, and I noticed that um, Gabriel's done something very similar with um, some of the real-world stuff. All right. I, I think there's even, um, I think he's even put Shot the Monkey up there. But I remember this from, was it Nine Inch Nails? Did a load of stuff in yeah. Garage Band or something. And, I mean, the downloads they had were just massive. Is anybody familiar with uh, Duncan Sheik, singer-songwriter? No. Um, it's kind no. of popular over states um i think he has three or four albums out but his last album he released a double disc and on the second disc it's a it's a dvd with the multi-tracks of every single track on the album mm. wow that's yeah. cool <laughs> that's yeah. really cool yeah. i hope he, I hope he gives some tempo maps as well <laughs> how you negotiate that with your record label because presumably you know it's they'd be kind of scared but i mean the point is is if somebody nicks this stuff, just because it's available doesn't mean that you've got license to then go and make your own record and steal the samples no. and have a hit. Because if you do that, you're going to get sued and you're going to lose all the publishing and all the creative royalties. Mm. So in yeah, a lot of respects, you know, it, what you... have they got to lose? I think the issue is that with a lot of these things, it only becomes relevant when something becomes successful. Exactly. You know, you can give yeah. away as much as you like. If it never sees the light of day, then no one cares. If it suddenly starts shifting units and gets loads of interest, then the owner will sort of stick their hand up and say, hang on a sec, you know, that's... <laughs> yeah, but there, there's there's also another aspect to this. I mean, if you look at somebody like uh, DJ Danger Mouse, um, who's mm. one half of Gnarls mm. Barkley, yeah. and he became famous for making the Grey album, which is a mix between the Beatles' mm-hmm. White Album and Jay-Z's Black Album. And... Uh, how many hip-hop guys discovered the Beatles and how many people that were into the Beatles discovered Jay-Z from listening to that album and from wanting to hear what the original was? And how many people discovered Suzanne Vega from an old remix? <laughs> <laughs> a couple. A couple. One or two, I should imagine. I'd say several million, Nick. Everybody I speak to, no matter where they are or where they were in the world at that, um, at that moment in time, knows that track. Yeah, it's very. Uh, it was one of those all permeating um, moments of music. It would have been nice to um, to got a little more out of it than than we did, but we got a hell of a lot of work, and uh, it sort of set me up and you know in the music kind of field. So that's cool. No, you have to leave that in, Nick. <laughs> okay, I'll see if I can edit something that doesn't make me too ashamed of myself. State dot com. Now I know we looked at this in some time ago. But I saw it again recently, and it, I thought it was fantastic. Reactable is a multi-user electroacoustic music instrument with a tabletop tangible user interface. That's one from their way page. I didn't actually write that prose. Effectively, you put little plastic things on a table, and they represent oscillators and filters. And start off with the waveform. And this is a guy just kind of moving his hands around on these objects. So he's just adding thing, more and more things to this kind of interface. And um, it just, I mean, apart from the fact that you can only seem to use it in a darkened room, I just kind of, it looked like you could spend it's, a couple of interesting afternoons on it. It's a light-emitting Ouija board, isn't it? <laughs> I'd say. That's, that's <laughs> not I, a bad I description. For, I was waiting for a couple of these things to just start moving on their own. I mean, I like the way that it works. I, don't, I can't quite fathom out how when you put a block on it knows what to connect to. Are, they, are the blocks actually pre-programmed, do you think? 
I think they're. I think they're like kind of modules. So one would be an oscillator. Yeah. One would be uh, what? Well, that what was happening there? I think one was an oscillator. One that looked like some kind of pulse width modulation device that had been brought in. And there, there are filters, and there are sample playback things, and they can just interact depending on how you do it. Uh, uh, but I mean, looking at it from a sound generating perspective, I thought when I first started looking at the video, I thought, oh, this is going to be something else which makes sort of buzzy sounds and great that they can be, you know. But it's the fact that you could all stand around it and play with it at the same time that's quite interesting. Yeah, the mm. multi-user yeah, modulus. You, know, you can all contribute to it. It'd be great in the science clever. museum. Yes. Yeah. yeah. There, there was a guy uh, last fall who presented at uh, TED back in back in 2005. Last fall, they posted the video, and he was showing off some technology that was a lot like um, the lemur, the jazz mutant lemur. Oh Big, yeah, Jeff uh, Han. He said that the technology is cheap and scalable, so you could uh, conceivably make something the shape of the rec table and have people standing around it, and create an API for sound generation where you could have multi-users standing around. You know, using all ten fingers, controlling sounds, moving around objects, virtual objects, playing keyboards, that type of thing. Yeah. I'd love to see an instrument like that. Well, or alternatively, you could all just be in a room together and play your own instruments and plug into a mixer. Might be a bit simpler. <laughs> or like a That's band. A bit, or go yeah, to a, like a, band. Like a recording studio. <laughs> so kind of, oh. Sonicstate.com. Well, anyway, uh, yeah, and, and, but while we're on the subject of sort of crazy uh, musical interfaces, did, um, there was also the... Um, we knew it was a ma- I knew it was going to be just a matter of time, but somebody has written a program um, that takes the output of the Wii remote, which is a wireless <laughs> remote, and uh, has turned it into a kind of, it's called the Wii Loop Machine. Uh, this guy, Amazing Rolo, is a, uh, the Amazing Rolo, his website is, and uh, he's basically uh, a chap called Jan Sesnek, who's a Franco-American, I guess Canadian, living in Edinburgh, Scotland, and he's doing a Master of Science in Sound Design at the University of Edinburgh in Scotland. He's obviously into kind of uh, French rap by the looks of things because he's, he's quite geeky, and, but he's got all these moves when he's, doing his, um, when he's, when he's demonstrating the, the actual uh, unit. Is it one of those things uh, um, that you, could, you can kind of see, hmm, hold on a minute, a bit of refinement, and this could actually be quite a powerful and exciting um, development? What do you think? It was like the geek equivalent of the key tile, wasn't it? Oh, do you think so? <laughs> oh, no. oh, that's a bit of it. The breakbeat tile. Actually, I did think it was quite cool, I have to say. It, I just had all these pictures of sort of loads of geeks waving around their little remote wands from the Wii and thinking, oh, my God. If you got the, 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 the application kind of a bit more funky, or maybe it was just a, it worked on a bridge <coughs> between that and, say, Ableton Live or any other kind of door, that you could use it to perform various things on various instruments, I mean... You know, it would almost be worth mm. buying a Wii because they're not terribly yeah. expensive just to have mm. that level of control. Because yeah. most, mm. certainly true. Mac laptops and, you know, most laptops have got, I think they work on Bluetooth, these things, don't they? You know, you've got all sorts of gesture, gesture control that you could use for a variety of things. And I actually think, mm. you know, it has an enormous amount of potential. And this guy's the first, as far as I can tell, to tap it and demonstrate it in a kind of reasonably coherent musical, you know, way. So fair play to you. And I, I recommend and, you go and have a look and at that. quickly, you know, on the positive side, I, I really love the sound of the granulation and the pitch shifting on the loop. I mean, I thought that was fantastic. It, uh, right now, there aren't a lot of um, plugins out there that will achieve that in one go. You no. You have to kind of granulate and pitch shift and then sample it, you know, in order to achieve that sound, that glitchy sort of you know, high-pitched, chopped-up Yeah, he did some that, stuff that he said, you know, hey, check this out. It's a bit like kind of square pusher, and it kind of was. Yeah. Actually. Yeah, it actually sounded like Square Pusher. Cool. Maybe, you know, if this guy could come up with a sort of 
a, a universal Wii to control a mapper, you know, then we'd be really onto something. That could be kind of pretty mad. Rather than have to uh, um, actually, rather than have to actually kind of design an application that 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 does that to the audio, just just have a, some sort of bridge interface that can you can yeah. use on any other sort of plug-in or whatever and control it that way. Yeah, I'd have one of those definitely. <laughs> Okay, well, look, let's call it a day, um, and why don't we, um, we can finish on the fact that it's Mesa. Actually, now, as we're talking, there are people in Mesa, uh, Andy, who I spoke to a little earlier, and uh, this is what he said. Yeah, it's pretty full on, actually. Yeah, it's been a busy year. Oh, that's good to know, because we were getting a bit worried that perhaps it was, um, it was gradually fading away, but it sounds, sounds like there's a lot of stuff going on. Well, I think one... Well, there was certainly bussing in school kids in the local municipality. I mean, there was like hundreds and hundreds of school kids in the entry hall as we got there. Oh, wow. So maybe that's, maybe that's their ticket. But no, I haven't seen them since. Apple are indoctrinating them in a small room in the basement somewhere. <laughs> yeah, they'll pop out as product managers. Yeah, come out. Maybe they get free black T-shirts. As you can guess, we're, we're, we're in the press bar at the moment. We've just literally stopped. So I'm, I'm just literally ordering food as as we speak. Oh, excellent. What are you going to have? You're going to have a schnitzel? Well, I'm going through a couple of Frankfurter Grüner sauce, kartoffel and sauce and whatever. It's kind of like Frankfurter sausages with potatoes. And... What have you seen cool this morning, then? Where have you been? We spent a lot of time at Straight to the Behringer stand, and they had lots of stuff as usual. I think they had 20 new products or 30 to go with the 80 they released at the, at the recent NAMM show. So they had a whole slew of stuff. We spent a while, they've got a new digital uh, DJ mixer, which looks quite fun. Ah. It's got about every single knob and function you could possibly think on pile on board there. And it's going out for a ridiculously cheap price. I mean, it's, I think it's like 329 euros, and it's just got everything on board, you know, sampling, MIDI functions, this, that, and the other. We've got a, a, an in-depth video piece about that one, so you can uh, see that a bit later on. Uh, we did, oh, they've got a 2,500 watt bass amp. I mean, who on earth needs a 2,500 watt bass amp? But if you do, Behringer have got one for you. And it's quite small, really. I mean, you can actually, you know, fit it in a, a small suitcase. You could probably melt most speakers with that kind of power. Yeah, you would, wouldn't you? The number of cabs you'd have to have. So yeah. Two and a half it, k, it, two it, and a half k base, base rig, right? And um, anything else that's uh, that's kind of struck you about this the show so far? We've seen some interesting TC type pedals. They seem to be coming out with a, a range of guitar stuff, which is quite good actually. They're sort of piling in all their rack-mounted stuff into into pedals. They've got a new pedal based on the twenty-two ninety delay. Because that was kind of major sort of top-of-the-range studio delay thingy, wasn't it? Yeah, I remember it from, you know, years back in, in the studio. Everyone used to go crazy for this thing, and now they've got it in a pedal. Yeah. Which even, even the guitarist can use. Amazing. And uh, they had a new uh, gizmo, which I think it works in conjunction with their sort of like vocal modelling stuff and harmonizers. I think it works with the Digitech harmonizer as well as their own harmonizer. But it's uh, basically a, a box which you plug your guitar into, and you can get a feed out of that little box going into the harmonizer, and the normal guitar can control the harmonizer. They were saying apparently before you had to have kind of electronic sort of guitar, and now you can do it with a normal guitar. So, um, anybody, have you seen anybody that's been raving about anything that you haven't seen yet? I think we'll have more of an idea later on. But uh, at the moment, it's, it's, it's early days. We've just been head down filming. Yes, we'll have to see Yamaha next, so they should have a, a range of stuff. Uh, well, thanks very much for for, um, for checking in with us, and uh, we'll keep you know we'll keep the videos coming, and hopefully we'll have a bunch of stuff tomorrow. So uh, good luck.
Excellent, thanks. I was just looking through the back of Sound on Sound this month, right? And there's a job advert for a technical writer to work for Apple in Germany to write a logic manual. Really? Mm. Yeah. Oh. In English, not in German, in English, English speaker. Is it? With um, experience writing technical manuals to go and work in Germany. Well, there has been much speculation, hasn't there, about the Logic 8 or Logic 9 or whatever it's going to be. And, mm. uh, that's, a really, have, that's a really good clue. Well, it does, it is. is it the April issue by any chance? Yes. Ah, there you go. April Fool's joke. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, it they got you then, John. Let me see if I can find the, the details of who you have to send it to and if there's any clue in there. Hang on a sec. There's, a, there's, an, there's an email address. So, basically, yeah. it's an advert for somebody to write a new logic manual in English. Technical writer, stroke instructional designer in Germany, in English, job in English. Looks completely... Oh, do you think the people at Apple are just having a bit of a laugh by helping keeping this uh, speculation going and, uh, and, and we're all just going to kind of go... And then one day they'll just announce something or they'll say, actually, we're not going to make logic anymore. We've changed our minds. We're just going to make iPhones. SonicState.com Just what all I want to do is I want to close with um, Mark's amazing rendition of, um, of Dave Robinson's um, sample of last week, which was absolutely this. brilliant. And I'd just like to close this podcast with that. But first, I think we should say goodbye to uh, PJ... Tracy from Minneapolis. Goodbye. Dave Spears from G4 Software then. Goodbye, Dave. See ya. And thank you. And Mark Tinley, who came up with this great ode. Uh, and I thought, I'm going to say, see ya, like that, right? And Dave just did what I was thinking of doing. Can you believe that? <laughs> so now I'm completely stuck. <laughs> we'll go to um, John Musgrave. Uh, thank you very much for joining us this week. Cheers, everyone. Cheers. And uh, Mark, would you like another go? I'll do au, au revoir. Ah, oh, beautiful. Was, well, here it comes. <laughs> oh. mm. Sample me. Why not? <laughs> there he is. Thank you. Thank you very much, Dave. Better fade it out before it gets to I, before the MCPS get onto me. But uh, thanks, guys, and um, until next week. Sonic State. What's called?